it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 52. Andrew and I are going to talk about balancing the art and science of intrinsic value. So today we're going to talk a little bit about intrinsic value, one of my favorite subjects and Andrew's as well. And this should be a little bit fun. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, sure. So basically, you know, we've been doing that back to the basic series. This one's going to be admittedly pretty technical. So if you're not as far along Maybe skip this one, save it for later, go back to the Back to the Basics series. But this is going to be for those of you who are following along, starting to look at intrinsic value of companies, trying to figure that out for ourselves and, and figure out how can we determine when the stock's undervalued, when it's overvalued, and really just try to take that process to the next step. Because on one side, it sounds really easy to say just buy low, sell high. It's really easy to say buy with a low P.E., it's really to say it's easy to say a lot of those things, but when you really get down to it, there's a just a myriad of different ways you can evaluate intrinsic value. Same with evaluating the margin of safety, and when you just talk about value investing in general, there's there's so many moving parts, and so I think it's important for us to kind of dis- discuss the whole the whole beast, so to say. So. I remember when I first started out and when I was doing the blog and stuff, I interviewed Jay June from Old School Value. And it was a great interview. It's up on YouTube still if people want to go check it out. But he basically talked about the fact that there's a science and an art to value investing. And so that's that's really key. And a lot of times when people talk about it, they talk about the quantitative side versus the qualitative side, you know, the quantitative of just looking strictly at the numbers, whereas the qualitative are things like, you know, things you can't really use numbers to evaluate. So things like how's the integrity of management, how, how is the business kind of going along? What, 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 what's the corporate structure look like? What's the corporate culture look like? How are the competitive advantages as they, as you kind of speculate them outside of 
a numerical market share type thing. Yeah, I mean, you could go on and on and on, but we've definitely had a couple episodes about focusing on the quant. Episode 10 was an example of one of those we did. Uh, episode 12, we kind of talked about qualitative stuff. But you know, when I think about the art of valuation, intrinsic value, however you want to say that, to me, it's more, I'm not talking about getting into the art and referring to it as a qualitative thing. I still kind of don't lean that way, if that makes sense. What I want to do is take the numbers, figure out what that whole picture is, and then instead of trying to break it down to an exact science where looking at a business and saying, you know what, this business earns this much, has this much cash flows, it has this many assets, therefore this business is worth blank, like $75 a share. I think that's kind of going overboard on the quant stuff and on the science part of it. I think where the art part comes in is where you kind of need to look at, okay, maybe this stock's more generally valued around 60 to 90 and, and, and you know, whatever that range may be. I mean, that's a very loose range. It's obviously not going to be that, maybe that loose of a range, but I think it's something where it's going to be something more like that and then trying to find a stock that's trading at a discount to that. And so I think when we talk about art and science of intrinsic value, myself in particular, the way I define it is as looking at buying stocks that are undervalued as a strategy and as something where you are kind of going with the flow and basically structuring a strategy where you're not always 100% going to get it right. You might not even 100% get the intrinsic value calculations right. And so by definition, you won't necessarily 100% be always buying undervalued stocks. But the kind of art and, and the kind of skill that and intuition that goes behind that is making it where you're you're basically trying to get that in the majority of the cases that you're doing trying to and by doing that you know you're trying to get as big of a margin of safety as you can realistically get for yourself so it's going to be different for everybody but i think that's something that we need to cover today and kind of different particular ways you can do that and how you can kind of look at valuation and look at intrinsic value as something that's more of a range rather than a specific value. Yeah, exactly. And when you talk about intrinsic value, it can be as simple as figuring out exactly what the price of something is. And I've talked about this before in the past where intrinsic value is something that we deal with on an everyday basis. You know, whether you go buy gas, eggs, or a car, you're looking at a price you think they're worth and deciding whether you want to pay that price or not. And, you know, calculating intrinsic value, there are so many different ways of going about doing that, whether they're using, you know, evaluation models like a discounted cash flow, dividend discount model, or even something simple like the Benjamin Graham formula. Mm -hmm. 
any of those are, you know, ways that you can calculate an intrinsic value and find a specific price for that. And I always come back to whenever I've talked about any of those kinds of metrics or models, either in my blog posts or in the podcast, we've gotten questions about, you know, how, how do I do this? And people more or less obsessing about the, the number part of it or the science part of it, as Andrew was talking about. And I always try to go back to when we're doing intrinsic value calculations, you have to always remember that you're looking for a range of possible outcomes because whenever you're doing those, you're the, you're using numbers that include estimates. So if you do an estimate of a growth value in any sort of formula, it's strictly an, it's, it's an estimate. And as Charlie Munger says, humans are very, very poor future calc, you know, uh, analysts or predictors of what's going to happen in the future. I know I certainly can't, maybe Andrew can, because he, he, he is special, but I wow, don't have that, <laughs> but I, I don't have that ability. And so when I'm looking at those numbers, I always, I always generally try to do two different calculations, maybe one being super conservative and maybe one being a little more aggressive. And then you can look at a range between those prices and that's really kind of where some of the art comes into you know intrinsic value and determining a price of a stock is you're really looking for a range because you're never going to know exactly is this company going to grow five percent or is it going to grow 14.2 percent or is it going to grow 0.8 percent and you have to just kind of give yourself a little break you know take a deep breath and when you're doing these numbers just realize that you know, you're looking for, you know, a range. And I, I love what Andrew was saying about Jay June. And I remember when I first started reading his stuff, he's great. He's a great author and he has a great website, by the way, if you guys ever get a chance to check his stuff out, it's amazing. He, uh, he talks a lot about that, about a range of, of prices that he looks for. And one of my favorite authors, Monish Prabhai, he does the same thing in his book, The Dondo Investor. He has a very specific, uh, he actually has two examples in the book where he talks about, how he kind of calculates intrinsic value for two, two different, very different companies. And he, he shows different ranges based on different growth rates. And he talks about back of the envelope kinds of calculations. So even as somebody as smart and sophisticated as he is, is not obsessing about finding out, you know, that, you know, Bath and Body Works is going to be worth exactly $82 and 42 cents. I, I don't know if it's that price. I'm just throwing out numbers here, but he doesn't worry, he doesn't obsess about that. He tries to find a range and then uses his, you know, intuition to decide whether he thinks those are overpriced or underpriced based on his experience in the market, looking at other companies, doing analysis of other companies, other retail companies, or just other companies in general. And that's where some of the education comes into and the experience and those kinds of things can really help you when you're looking at, you know, looking at working with these models or these numbers. And I always come back to this and Andrew and I were talking about this before that Buffett and Munger always preach that it's better to be, they always come back with, it's better to be generally right than precisely wrong. And I think that really strikes the heart of the core to me when I'm thinking about the art of calculating intrinsic value or value investing. I think that is so profound of a statement. And I really think that's a great way to think about what you're doing when you're doing these kinds of things. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, 
I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I love the way you eloquently describe that. Um, and it's it's key, right? Because on the one hand, it's not like um, th- these are questions we get a lot and they're excellent questions. It really shows that you're getting in the right direction. And so I don't want it to sound like we're saying that these these are bad things to have. This is part of the learning process. And so like Dave, like you said, I mean, when you're doing these blog posts where you're describing how to do discount uh the dividend discount model or the or the DCF and, and some of the other models. When when Dave writes a post like that and he does like an example, it comes out with a specific number, but that's for the for the purposes of teaching when it comes to actually using that when it come when you're gonna go and look to to see if a stock's undervalued, then that's where you you wanna look for the ranges. So I kinda wanna talk about how I use ranges in maybe a different fashion. I've talked before on the podcast about how I like to look at, obviously, all three financial statements. I like to look at what's the complete picture that a company's numbers is telling us. They are painting the complete picture. It's just up to us to interpret it and to realize gain. So I know I've used the metaphor before where I would rather have 
a house that's surrounded by 10 different cameras rather than one camera pointed at the front door in HD. So I'm not focusing in on one metric model and, and use, you know, if you're going to use 10% as a estimate, estimated growth for the next decade or so, laser focusing on that 10% isn't maybe going to give you the any sort of range. Whereas if you can say, you know, it's reasonable to expect 8 to 12% and then you run that calculation several times and now you have a more reasonable range where you can be generally correct. So I use that when I'm looking at valuations and then I will combine the valuations together. Obviously, if you want to get in depth and know exactly what I'm talking about, you're going to have to buy a value chart indicator package where I show the exact numbers and metrics and all of those things. But for the purposes of today's episode, I'll just give an example. So a lot of times I like to say, and I say this in the free ebook too, you want to look for a stock with a PE under 25. I'd obviously prefer one that's under 15. Benjamin Graham, when he wrote The Intelligent Investor, he talked about wanting a stock that's under 15 PE, and I believe it was under 1.5 PB. Somewhere in that range, right? So when I say that, though, and then when I run these calculations and look at a company's financials, I'm you when I'm becoming intuitive is, is when I'm knowing when to break those rules. So I talked about this in my daily email today. If I have a stock where, let's say, the price to book's really great, the price to sales is really great, there's enough cash flow and enough cash in the in the in the um, cash flow statement at the end of the year, and it looks like there's plenty of cash to be able to weather any sort of storms. If the debt levels are good, if if the dividends growing nicely and healthily, and not doing so with too high of a payout ratio. If all those things are in place, but I have a stock with a PE of 26, just because it's it's not under 25 doesn't mean I don't want to necessarily buy that. Whereas, you know, I think if you talk to a lot of value investors who like to run screens and and they and they like to have these filters and and you know, and it's easy, right? Because when you do things like back tests where you're testing the validity of a strategy, it's so easy to plug in these filters in the back test and say, okay, well, I would have just bought all these stocks that had a PE under 25 and a PB under one, and then see how that portfolio would have done over decades of time. But I think it's important to kind of combine all of those things and not not be so science oriented where you're just going to have like a strict cutoff without putting any thought into is 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 really a PE of 24 any different than a PE of 26? I mean, we're, we're, we're basically talking semantics at that point. The whole purpose of doing an arbitrary number like 25 and saying, I want to buy a stock with a PE under 25. The reason that we're doing that is a, you know, if you take price to earnings, it's price divided by earnings. What makes those things, what makes that ratio go down and why do we like it? Number one, either the price is so low that it makes the PE low, which is great because we want to buy low or the earnings are so high that, you know, that denominator is so high that the ratio falls. So Basically, the two things we're looking for is, are there enough earnings and is the relation of how much earnings this company has compared to 
how it is priced currently at the market is that generally undervalued or at least fairly valued in the ways that we like to consider it. So that's the logic. And it's not picking the 25 and saying that's where I'm going to stick to. In the same token, you know, there's a big difference between, let's say, a PE of 26 and a PE of 46, right? Now we're talking about an almost doubling of the PE ratio, and that means that's almost that's almost as little as half of the earnings that you could get by buying this stock at a PE of 46 rather than buying a stock that's at a PE under 25 you know, why would you buy half the earnings when there's other stocks out there where you can get double that much? So that's kind of the thought process. And I like to take that. And I did this, you know, when I was creating the value trap indicator formula, there is some like advanced math involved. There, There's exponentials and, you know, different numbers multiplying against each other. And in the relationship, it's very mathy, but the general concept is still the same. And to be like a good value investor who is crafting a strategy where you're generally buying undervalued stocks, I don't think you need to use that kind of math. And, and if you just understand things like earnings, assets, and cash, then you have like 90% of the picture, right? But the devil is in the details in the sense that there there does also need to be an art art portion to this investing stuff. And so the way that I kind of do it is is by having this fluid sort of formula that when when the when the numbers get played out, it's it's gonna basically I, I manipulate the numbers to give to make the intuitive decisions that I would have made anyway. So for example, I, I use the PE example as one thing. Another example would be like price to book, right? Now we're instead of talking about numbers that are in the fifteen to twenty-five range, now we're talking about one point five to you know three all the way down to maybe point one. Or I'm sorry, like under one. In in the case of price to book, because that number range is so much smaller, when you get below one, the difference of that is is such a higher magnitude that I I made like a higher priority on it. That's that's basically the best way I can describe it in words. So, you know, if if you have a stock with a price to book at like a 0.8, what that's telling you is is I'm getting I'm getting like a 20% discount on what the assets are. It's 0.8 is 80% and then 20% makes it up to 100. So, that is a huge advantage and arguably more of an advantage than let's say having a PE of 17 versus 25. So, you know, those are some things that come with experience. Those are some things that come with analyzing the financial statements. And those are some things that the value trap indicator automatically incorporates because I put a lot of thought and research into it so that people can use the spreadsheet without having to go into that intricate math. But for somebody who is looking at making an intrinsic value calculations for themselves, whether the application of what we're talking about today is, you know, whether that needs to be just having a, something as simple as a range, or whether that goes more complex into when you're you're juggling various ratios and valuations and trying to figure out how to how to get into stocks that 
are still undervalued in the sense that you like to consider them. Whatever that may be, I think it's just important to understand that there, this is a side to it. It's not strictly all numbers. And maybe in my in, in a case like mine where I'm still using the formula to make an intuitive decision, it's still using numbers, but doing it in a way that's smart and that's not as cut and dry, black and white as I'm going to make a cutoff here and I'm not going to buy a PE of 26 or I'm not going to buy a price to book of three or even, you know, like I've talked before how even if everything kind of looks fairly valued, right? If it's not one metrics really saying like, man, this is a screaming buy, but everything's good and the, and the business looks good and it's healthy and there's, there's cat, there's plenty of cash. There's a strong balance sheet to quote Warren Buffett again. That's, that's, a situation where you have, I would rather buy a wonderful company at a fair price rather than a fair company at a wonderful price. So that's kind of, I think, another way to look at the art of valuation and to maybe use those type of things to really narrow down on when you're going to look at margin of safety with an emphasis on the safety. I think it's it's safer, in my opinion, to make these kind of intuitive decisions rather than just strictly rely on quant and science and numbers that you're not giving much thought to. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, I love the way you wrap that up. That you know, I think that really kind of summarizes when you're thinking about looking at intrinsic value and kind of in, incorporating intuition into it. Uh, kind of going back to my, my buddy Monish Prabhai, you know, he talks a lot about in his book about finding what a sale price of a company is. And then he uses an intrinsic value to kind of find a range of what he thinks it's actually worth. But he also incorporates into it, you know, he's looking for an upside to the company. He's also looking for, a, you know, a return on his investment. And he will just basically look at the difference of the spread of the ranges versus what it's actually, what it's selling for at the current price. And then he decides whether he thinks there's an upside to it. So he will look at the company as its own entity, but he'll also look at it in relation to other parts of where it's sitting in its uh, type of company that it is, whether it's retail, whether it's oil, whether it's, you know, shipping or, you know, whatever it may be, internet, it, it could be anything. So he looks for whether he thinks that there's going to be ups, any upside in the retail market, for example. And if he doesn't think there is, and he doesn't think he's going to be able to get his return on his money, though it may still be selling for quote unquote less than the intrinsic value of whatever you calculated it for. So there is a margin of safety there, but he's also intuiting, you know, that he doesn't think he's going to make much on it. So for him, it's going to be a pass because it's not just about finding a company that is selling for below its intrinsic value. He's also looking to see if he's going to, he thinks he's going to be able to make anything on it as well. And so when he buys into something like Southwest Airlines, he he finds 
that it's selling for a certain price. He does his calculations and thinks that it's maybe at that point less than it's selling less for what it thinks it's actually worth. But he also thinks that the company has room to grow and that he's going to be able to make his investment back. He's not going to lose his money and he's going to make money on the investment. And for him, something like that could be an investment. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, I may look at that and go, yeah, I don't know that the airline's going to do that great. You know, I think that the price of oil is going to continue to affect the fuel cost of flying an airplane. And I, and with labor unions and everything you have to deal with that, I just don't know if it's the best investment for me personally. So, and I think that's really where it comes down to the art of what Andrew was talking about is, you know, you're still looking at the numbers and you're still using those as a guideline because that is what we do. But you're also thinking beyond just the number. You're looking at all the different aspects and factors that go into making an investment. And it's a little bit of the qualitative part and it's a little bit of the, you know, unsure part of it when you look at a spreadsheet and when you look at a, a balance sheet and a cash flow statement the numbers are right there and when you take them out of there and use those in formulas it, it doesn't lie but there are other aspects of that number of how it got there and where it can go that you have to kind of use your intuition and your experience and your intellect to figure out whether you think that that is something that's going to go up or down that's really to me where the art comes into it is really figuring out, you know, you do the science part of it, but then you also have to take some intuition and some art to it to figure out whether you think that this is going to be something worth investing in. Yeah, that's perfect. And that's like going to give you that extra push to really make yourself feel confident in the stock. If you can do that yourself, then that might be the difference between confidently holding forward and, and letting letting a, a reversal in the trend happen and letting a recovery happen versus maybe selling out too early because you didn't feel good enough about why you were in the stock. So it's it's definitely important to consider. And I, I like the way you talked about Manish Prabhai and how he incorporates growth. I mentioned on um, an interview I was recently on for, with Nick from Sure Dividend Investing you know, obviously he was on the show a couple episodes ago and I was on his show as a guest. I had a question I had answered online from a beginner and it was, what were the three things that you really wish you knew when you first started? I remember one of the key ones that, that I shared was that I wish I would see the importance in incorporating growth with value. And so it's everything Dave just said and that Manish Prabhai practices it's also something that Peter Lynch refers to a lot um, in his book, Beating the Street, how he relates price to earnings, which is value, and how he relates it to growth. And and it's one way to display that is in the PEG ratio. Um, and it's just an extension of the PE ratio, and it's taking growth into effect. And it's something I talk a lot about in my e-letter too, how I, how I determine what kind of growth I like to see and then combine that with a good value chart indicator score. So that's something that's really important to consider as well. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because that's growth is just as, mar, as, as important when you're talking about margin of safety as valuation is. And so combining the two is really where you can find the sweet spot and then add dividends along the way. And now you're, you are expanding and, and compounding on those advantages even greater the longer and longer you hold. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap up our conversation today about the art of intrinsic value. 
I hope uh, you enjoyed our conversation between Andrew and I. It was a lot of fun for me to talk about this. I really get passionate about intrinsic value, as does Andrew. He wrote a great email today about this very process. And if you are not a, a member of his email club, you definitely need to be because he drops some really great stuff on a daily basis. So I highly recommend you take a look at that. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and sign off. You guys go out and find some great intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You have a great week, and we will talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.